Hello and welcome to Connected, episode number 62. Uh, today is October 20th, 2015. I am your host, Stephen Hackett, and I am joined, as always, by our our man in Italy, man with the plan in Rome, Mr. Federico Vitigi. Hello, Stephen. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Uh, well. We're We're missing a piece of the Connected puzzle today. We are. Mike uh, Mike is currently uh, flying uh, to the U.S. Uh, he and I are both attending the Release Notes conference. We'll have a link in the show notes. Uh, Mike is actually the keynote speaker, which is uh, oh, fancy. pretty sweet. And uh, so, yeah, so I'll be joining him. Uh, I leave like super early tomorrow morning. Uh, it's, it's a pretty short plane trip for me, just a couple hours. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll be together the rest of the week and uh, doing... Uh, really starts as a conference for like people like us with like independent tech businesses and um, looking Mm -hmm. forward to seeing some relay hosts and listeners and everything there. So if you're, if you're going to be there, uh, be sure to say, Hey, Mm -hmm. yeah. Will you you be asking Mike for an autograph or a selfie? I mean, he's a celebrity now. Am I going to ask him for that? Yeah. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It seems a little strange (laughs) for me to do it, but I guess other people could. Just pretend you're a, you're a big fan of Mike. Just pretend you don't know him. Just ask for an autograph and a selfie. Imagine <laughs> Mike's reaction. <laughs> yeah, it's like, dude, can I get your autograph? Uh, we're actually co-founders of the same company, but whatever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the real, the real. If I if I were there, the real game for me would be to try to find typos in Mike's presentation. I know that he's going to kill it, and I know that it's going to be awesome, but I'm pretty sure there's going to be typos. And I'm, a, I'm a little worried about that, and I haven't seen the presentation. I don't know what he's talking about. I, I, I'm, I'm okay with that for the most part, but we'll, yeah, I guess we'll see. That's his signature, you know? <laughs> At least a little typo. It, it won't kill anyone. I'm sure Mike has a, has a way to make it look nice. Uh, so Mike... I think if he does a mic chat, it should be on purpose. Like yeah. if he says, I'm yeah. a professional podcaster, like, I think yes. that'd be good. <laughs> that would be perfect. So uh, Mike right now is up in the air, I think. Uh, I don't know. Is he in, in, the, in the land of the free yet? I don't uh, know. He, sh- he should be getting close. So I guess, we'll, I guess if we hear from him during the show, which I think was what happened last time he was traveling, he like texted us like during when you and I were doing the show. So. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, see, it's hard to keep up with the guys, international businessman and traveler and everything. Always so. going to America, you know, he's always going around, uh, flying in all different countries. He's a, he's a diplomat, you know, he's going to lots of different places. Steven, save us and take us into follow-up. All right, so we've got, we got some follow-up this week. Uh, we were speaking last week about the MacBook Pros and the MacBook Airs and how everything is all sealed in now. Uh, Lauren wrote in to remind us that that's not completely true. There is, and I will put this link in the in the show notes and in the chat room. So if you're listening live, you can understand that this computer is still uh, still in production. Apple still sells a 13-inch MacBook Pro non-Retina with a DVD drive hmm. for $1,099 here in the United States. And it's really not a great machine. I'm not sure who it's for. I think it's mostly for. Um, I, mean, I think it's mostly for education or people who buy in bulk, perhaps. But um, I don't. Uh, I'm not quite sure what um, what that's about. So or maybe DVD smugglers. 
you know. Yeah. Uh, four gigs of RAM, a 500 gig, 54 RPM hard drive. Um, just, you know, it's the MacBook Pro from four years ago. Still for sale. Uh, I highly doubt that it even comes with El Capitan if, if you open another box. I'm sure it's just uh, an old config they have laying around. But um, what can you do? Yeah, there's probably Lion on that machine. Yeah. <laughs> so you can still buy that machine, so my apologies for being incorrect. I tend to forget about this computer because I just assumed that Apple's killed it for, since the last time I looked. And every time I look, it's still there hanging on for life. Nice. Uh, we also wanted to touch base on the uh, the magic accessories. Uh, the uh, keyboard, uh, so I have the keyboard and the trackpad. I'm actually using both right now, even though I'm not really a trackpad guy. No. Um, I really like the keyboard. My review just went live like 20 minutes ago on the site. Um, I like the keyboard. It is, if you like the old one, uh, there's a lot of things that are better about it. Yes, the the... You know, the key travel is less than the old one, but the trade-off is it feels more precise. They're not using the butterfly mechanism from the MacBook. They're still using the scissor mechanism. But all in all, it feels more precise and it feels it feels tighter than the old one. And I like that. And uh, so I've been using it since uh, since the weekend. Mine came in on Friday. And uh, I'm, uh, I'm a fan so far. It is sort of funny. There's still an eject key on it. I don't know what that does. I'm hitting it now and nothing's happening to my computer. Um, <laughs> Make sure you're not the one being ejected from your chair. Yeah, yeah. it just ejects my USB <laughs> free two from the being uh, connected. No, I mean if you have a if you have an external, you know, if you have like the super drive plugged in, it ejects it. I mean, I get why it's there. Um, I do wish it was backlit. I'm sure that that was a thickness battery life type thing, is my mm-hmm. guess. Um, but it would be nice, like it'd be nice to have a, a backlit external keyboard. Um, so that's my hope that one day we'll get that. Uh, it would it would be weird with the white keycaps. Uh, I don't know how quite that would look, but um, all in all, it's it's a nice improvement if you like the old one. If you don't like the old one, you're really not going to like this one because it is sort of like a distilled version of the old one. But all in all, uh, it gets a thumbs up for me. Mm-hmm. I got one question for you, Stephen. Yes. Have you tried the keyboard on your iPad? Uh, I have not. I, it is, my understanding is, is that it's basically the same as last time. Okay. Um, but, uh, I'm not sure. I mean, the, the pairing is still done over Bluetooth, obviously. Um, I don't think it, I don't think it has any more like iOS features than the Mm -hmm. old one did though. Like there's not, I don't think there's like something that doubles as the home button or anything, but I'm not, I'm not sure to be honest. So you can probably replicate the same shortcuts, of course. You can do command tab, you can do command space to open yeah, spotlight. Yeah. All that should no, work. No special keys for Right. IOS. There's no like Siri key like you get mm-hmm. on like the Logitech or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Um I mean I, and that makes sense, like at this point with the iPad Pro coming, like I don't think they they want to keep that separate for that keyboard cover. Um man, I don't know. Like I like using the iPad with the Apple keyboard. Um but I'm not I'm just not sure like how big of a use case it is in Apple's mind of people buying their keyboard use with the iPad, like with all the keyboard cases and everything out there. I don't know. 
Yeah, it's going to be interesting with the iPad Pro. Uh, the software keyboard, you know, there's a bunch of new features. Of course, it's bigger, so it should be easier to type on, you know, on the screen. Uh, but there's also a couple, you know, the, the increased space allows for a couple of new features. Uh, there's more keys, there's the, the number row. I think it's always shown by default, at least in landscape. Uh, so it's going to be a big software keyboard. But of course, Apple makes the, the smart keyboard as well, which I look forward to trying because I'm really curious to see what they've done there. Um, I type most of my articles on the iPad Air 2 with the software keyboard and usually, I know that this sounds crazy, but I type in portrait mode with my thumbs, you know, uh, that's the advantage of being human, you have, you know, thumbs. And <laughs> <laughs> I do like typing typing in portrait mode on my iPad. And that goes down to, to the biggest question I have about the iPad Pro. Um, can you still use it in portrait mode? Can you still hold it with two hands and type? Uh, it's probably going to be a little too big for that use case. At least that's what I imagine. Because it's going to be about as wide as the iPad Air is in landscape. Yeah, that might be. That's going to be. That'd be a reach for yeah. me. And I've got. Yeah. I got. I, I don't have Mike Hurley fingers, <laughs> but you know, I've got decent size hands. Elongated I fingers. I um, I actually just last night my wife has the twelve inch Retina MacBook, and uh, I was doing something on it, and. I was walking to the house and I was thumb typing on it. Like I had it wedged in my hands, like my hands were claws and thumb typing on this MacBook. I was like, huh. what have I done? Because <laughs> I'm like you, I type in my iPad Air generally in portrait with my thumbs. Mm-hmm. The landscape keyboard is like just the wrong size for me. Uh, there's something about it. I've never really been able to to do well. And so I type like you do on the Air yeah. and I can do it. It's pretty comfortable. Um, but I was like walking out of the house with a MacBook <laughs> doing it. I was like, what am I doing? Like, <laughs> What's happened to me? <laughs> Uh, yeah, You know, the thing about the, the landscape keyboard on the iPad is not necessarily, at least for me, not necessarily the size of the keys or the layout. It's how much it obscures content in the top half of the screen. And I mm-hmm. usually type in portrait mode because I can see more of the app that I'm using, which is usually editorial. So I see more of my text. And when I switch to landscape, I just see like a, a paragraph. And on the iPad Pro going to be interesting because you can see more in landscape and the keyboard is also bigger but there's a problem you know in portrait because it becomes too large to type with your thumbs so it's going to be it's going to be a curious setup you know uh, we we should have a couple of weeks left you know apple said the ipad pro is coming out in november and i'm curious in this case the italian apple website says coming in november so we don't know yet if the iPad Pro is going to launch uh, in, you know, many countries, uh, like in 30 countries at launch, so Italy should be included. We just have a November notice on the Italian website. And uh, I hope that we will know more maybe next week. There's an Apple earnings call. Maybe they will provide a mm-hmm. release date for the iPad Pro. We don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, it's the same thing here. There's not a date. And and just last night, Apple uh, CEO Tim Cook was being interviewed, and he said the Apple TV would be going for pre-order on Monday, so six days from now, and then shipping next week. Um, so we can talk about that in the next couple of weeks as well. I mean, it's sort of funny. Like, you know, Apple clumps all their stuff together in the fall, but this year, even within the fall, it's a little spread out. I feel like we get a couple of weeks with, like, each thing. Like, we've yeah. had we had phones, and then we had iMacs and, and Mac stuff, and now we're going to go back the Apple TV through the iPad Pro. Um, yeah, it'll, it'll be it'll be fun. I'm I'm I think I said it last week. I'm increasingly interested in the iPad Pro. Um, I think that I will at least get one to check it out and then, you know, maybe take advantage of that return policy, yeah. but um 
we'll see. It's I think it'll be I think it'll be interesting to see how it does. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, now Federico, you uh, you are our our reporter in the field when it comes to all things uh, blah blah car, and you <laughs> tweeted something yesterday. Is I think it was yesterday. Yes. That the the only way I can describe it, and I'm going to put this like you should go look at Federico's um, uh, tweet. It 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 troubled me deeply in my soul. I think it's really the only way, the only thing. So so what is this? Can you explain what you've done to the internet here? So I was I was uh, it was after dinner, and I was at, at the kitchen table just looking at Twitter on my iPad, and the TV was on because we were following the news during dinner, and. At one point, a weird song started playing, and I look up at the TV, and there's like two blob monsters uh, with very uncomfortable eyes and a very uncomfortable shape, and it was a commercial for Blah Blah Car, and there's these two little things, I would describe them. Uh, talking about Blah Blah Car and uh, how it works. And it's a very creepy commercial. I don't understand why you would trust a service. You know, you're getting into someone else's car. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty serious thing to do. Um, and the, 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 the creatures advertising this service are two creepy-looking monsters. So I don't know if I can find the commercial on YouTube. I can try. Uh, there's a weird song. There's a weird monsters. Uh, and there's an explanation of how Blah Blah Car works. So, you know, it's the car sharing service that lets you uh, ride into someone else's car for a fee so you can save on costs to go from a specific place of Italy to another. So you can split the fees for, like, highway tolls, you know, that kind of stuff, Uh but the monsters, the blah blah monsters, that's how I call them, they're really creepy. And they're, they're the stuff of nightmares, basically. Um, and of course, I tweeted the picture, and a lot of people responded to the, to the nature of the commercial. Uh, it, it, there's no way around it. They're, they're creepy. And there's a, a tweet from from friend of the show, John. Um, he, he, he sent us a picture of a of a McDonald's monster. Does it have a name? His name is Grimace. Oh, nice. And the other one is the Hamburglar? Yep. Yeah. Yep, yep. So they're, they're eerily similar in nature. And the, 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 the worst part of the blah blah monster isn't just the color, which is purple, or the fact that, that, he, that he has hands with no fingers and then he's holding a phone. It's the red lips. Yeah, it's it's just really terrifying <laughs> in every way. I, I wanna. It is terrifying. Uh, I'm gonna put the picture in the show notes. Like, so if you go to the if you go to the page uh, relay.fm/connected/62, you can just see it because I think everyone should experience the terror that I did. Uh, so uh, I'm surprised that you didn't comment on those cables. You know, I I really <laughs> almost did, and I was like, no, I'm gonna mm-hmm. be. I'm going to be the big, the bigger the man here and be the gentleman, but I'm just going to buy you some cable conduit. Okay, so there's an explanation, which we will discuss in, in, in the topic that we have uh, today. So I will explain in a few minutes why. If you, if you were a gentleman, you would hide that in the wall. <laughs> but it's temporary. Let me explain to you later why. Okay. Okay. I understand temporary setups. Mm-hmm. I get it. Um, so, uh, we got a couple little topics uh, before we get into the big one. Uh, 
But first, let me tell you, Federico, and our dear listeners, about the excellent program from Smile PDF Pen 7. PDF Pen is the ultimate all-purpose PDF editor, and now Smile offers 10 great tutorials from the talented Mr. David Sparks, our friend Max Sparky from Mac Power Users. Each of these videos are like two to four minutes, real short, and they will teach you how PDF Pen 7 can help you apply markup, annotate, or add a signature to a PDF, fill in PDF forms, uh, set up iCloud or Dropbox to sync PDFs back and forth with PDF Pen for uh, iOS. You can touch up images, perform OCR, and correct, and even redact text from PDFs. It's really great. Uh, David does a really great job explaining all that. These courses will really help you understand all the amazing things you can do with PDF Pen. Um, you know, being a business owner, you have to deal with a lot of documents. And a lot of times those are PDFs. People send us things like insertion orders or contracts for ads or I mean, just all sorts of stuff, invoices. And it's really great to have PDF Pen on all my devices. So I can just pull a PDF, I can sign it, I can, I can annotate it, send it back to somebody. It uh, really makes it um, super, super great. It puts fantastic power in your hands to help you get important work done. You can learn all about PDF Pen from Smile. Just go to smilesoftware.com slash connected. PDF Pen 7 and PDF Pen Pro 7 both require Yosemite and are ready for El Capitan, which is super great. Um, just go check them out. Uh, again, smilesoftware.com slash connected. Thank you to Smile for supporting this show and all of Relay FM. All right, Federico, tell me about iWork. So... Last week, Apple released, uh, finally, I would say, not in an ironic way, um, an iOS 9 update for the iWork suit for iOS. So uh, there's an updated pages, numbers, and keynote uh, with new iOS 9 features, which include, of course, iPad multitasking, uh, keyboard shortcuts. Um, you know, you get a little uh, pop-up when you, when you hold down the command key on your physical keyboard so you can see all the list of supported commands in the apps. Uh, there's a new way to share documents with iCloud.com on the web, and there's an increased compatibility with older file formats, which I know you want to talk about. Uh, but of course, the big change, and of course, there's you know a little, uh, a small amount of improvements uh, to each individual app. Um, with a with a series of of long standing uh, you know feature requests from from iOS users, but of course the big change is iPad multitasking. And if you don't mind, Stephen, I have a little story for you today. So right before the update, well, which was on Thursday at ten around ten p.m., which is when Apple refreshes refreshes the App Store for the weekly features, uh, Sylvia, my girlfriend, was just talking about how she wanted to um, use numbers on her iPad Air 2 uh, with Split View because she has to do some accounting stuff on a monthly basis. And she was asking why she couldn't uh, put Safari with a web page where she's looking at numbers and you know a bunch of different expenses uh, next to numbers. So, so she could go through all the lists of transactions and organize them in a spreadsheet. And maybe 20 minutes after she was 
you know, complaining about the iOS 9 update to numbers, there was an iOS 9 update to numbers on the App Store. And she got really excited. And I understand why. I don't use numbers much because I'm a Google Sheets user. And the Google Sheets app for iOS still hasn't been updated to, to support iOS 9. But she does this uh, numbers accounting really often. And she got excited because... Uh, the ability to, to pin Safari next to Numbers or any other app uh, basically saved her like an hour. She would have spent jumping from app to app. And I witnessed how a non-power user, because she's not the type of user who obsesses over, you know, the little advanced features like we do or shortcuts or power user tips and tricks, that kind of stuff. She just uses her iPad because she likes it more than a MacBook. And being able to, to use slide over and more importantly, split view, she got through all the list of you know uh, expenses and and uh, all you know the database that she keeps for accounting purposes, she got through that really fast with Split View because she says I don't I don't have to go uh, from app to app anymore. It's right there and the layout is still the same and the iPad Air 2 is comfortable and she was really happy. So I thought. It's really interesting, you know, uh, that we, we uh, just a few months ago, we were saying, yeah, but, you know, power users are just going to be, uh, are the ones who are going to be happy about iOS 9 because uh, normal people really don't do any sort of work on the iPad. So even if Apple does multitasking or slide over or in split view, normal people, they're not going to care as much as we do. Uh, and maybe to an extent that's true because especially I, I guess people like me who only use an iPad on a daily basis, we are excited by those functionalities. But even normal people like Silvia, she's definitely a normal person. She doesn't spend, you know, hours looking into apps on the App Store like I do. But the, 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 the single change in numbers uh, allowed her to be faster and to work faster, to save time, and to be happier with the iPad. So it kind of got me thinking about this all, you know, we usually refer to normal people, I wouldn't say as they don't know what's going on behind the scenes, but maybe we discard, we dismiss those people and the needs of those people because we imagine that they use just Facebook and mail and Safari, and they do. But they're not stupid. And, and I've said this many, many times. And every time I come across someone, in this case my girlfriend, just discovering this functionality and being super okay with it, uh, it surprises me every time. Yeah, you know, it's. I think what's nice about that sort of stuff on the iPad is that it, it's pretty discoverable. And it's um, it's like not fiddly, right? Like you just slide the app over. When you're done, you put it back. Like it, They really did a good job at adding complexity without you know, making it confusing. And I think, I think your story kind of, kind of points that out. It's like, I can just go like pull these two things together and do what I need to do. And then go back to the way it was, uh, which is nice. Um, I think that caught my eye in the iWork updates is the, the backwards compatibility. So the new version of iWork, Apple basically rebuilt the Mac apps and the iOS apps really, but especially the Mac apps to, to be, more compatible that you know they they redid their document structure so that you could use documents more cleanly on on both platforms and 
they left a lot of stuff out. We talked about that. I don't know. It was like a year ago or so. Like Apple Script was left out of the Mac apps, a bunch of stuff, and they've been slowly adding it back in. And uh, this week's update brought back like true backwards compatibility. So if you have, I don't remember how far back it goes, but like I think iWork 08 and maybe even 06 documents, you can now open again. Yeah, which is good. And like again, like a a not a not sarcastic. Finally, like it uh, it sort of was frustrating that if you had those old documents, you couldn't open them, but I'm glad they circled back and got that taken care of. I saw some tweets from people kind of poking fun at Apple for adding support for old file formats back. It's kind of like backtracking on what they wanted to do when they relaunched the iWork apps for OS X and iOS. They made a big deal out of saying, we needed this clean slate, so we're not supporting the old apps and the old documents because we wanted to start fresh. And now that they added the support for the old uh, document types back, uh, I saw some people saying, yeah, look at Apple. First they say that they want to start fresh and they, they do backwards compatibility. I kind of don't know what to, make, what to make of this argument because ultimately it was a clean slate and there were problems, uh, but there were also new apps. They, and those apps let them, you know, start fresh, new features, new design. And eventually, you know, update after update, they bring features back, but they don't compromise on the original vision. These are still brand new iWork apps. So I kind of understand the making fun of, yeah, first you say you want to start fresh and then you bring the old files back. Uh, But in the end, it's just, you know, a practical thing to do. Uh, now that we got the basics covered, we have these new apps, we're supporting these new iOS 9 features, even, you know, it's a month late, but still now we're supporting iOS 9. So what else can we do? Let's bring the the, the old file formats back. Um, you know, I don't think it's a big deal. And if anything, people who still have those files, they're just going to be happy now. So it's okay to poke fun, but I don't think it compromises on, on the vision, the basic vision of the of the iWork suit. I, uh, I agree. And your backwards compatibility with like documents is is big you know you can you can look at microsoft and say well you know they they do this to a fault where they're all they just will not let go of backwards compatibility but like you can say that but a word document you made 20 years ago you can probably still open yeah and and that helps office like stay entrenched so many places and um uh, i i think when I think comparing iWork to Office is unfair to both, and I think they're, they they sort of solve the same problem from very different angles. But having a document that you created seven years ago that you can't open that is a problem, and so I'm I'm glad they got that sorted out. Um, and uh, and yeah, I, I agree with you. Like the vision thing, like iWork is still much simpler and cleaner than it was, mm-hmm. and much faster. I, I just spent some time the last week or so in iBooks author uh, helping a friend with something and iBooks author is basically like iWork 08 like that it's it uses a lot of those old controls and sort of old way of thinking about things and it's it's very like bumbly in there like you just it's just not very good and you go to the new iWork like this is for the most part is a lot better so I'm glad they did it I wish they had gotten to this faster for people who were stuck with this this problem I mean uh, I think if I remember correctly, the new version of iWork did not override the old one on disk. It would you it would leave like iWork 09 also installed. So you you'd have two versions, but at least you could open everything and now that'll be a lot cleaner mm-hmm. moving forward, which is uh which is good. Yeah. One thing that still hasn't uh replaced 
other services for me is the real-time collaboration. So right now, me and you, we're looking at a, at a shared Google Docs document and we're both typing and, you know, we have our own cursor in the document and we can collaborate on the same document, the same notes. And my understanding, you can do this for iCloud and iWork, but it, it'll still eventually upset you because there's gonna be problems and so if you're if you're looking for a solution to collaborate on documents with multiple people at once uh you still have to use google docs quip which is also an excellent service and maybe in the near future you will be able to use this new dropbox paper service which has a totally unoriginal name but the idea is you're sharing a rich document with multiple people and it's kind of like google docs and quip but it's nicer maybe and right now it's in sort of public beta on the web there's going to be native apps eventually uh it looks nice the name is i mean come on another paper service um but I have to tell you, um, I'm kind of excited by Dropbox Paper. And part of me is torn between... Uh, I'm excited because I like Dropbox. And the other part of me says, what is Dropbox doing? Because they're trying this bunch of different things now. Uh, because, you know, file storage and management has kind of become a feature. Uh, everyone has its own cloud storage services, whether it's Google, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon... Pretty sure Facebook is coming out eventually <laughs> with a with a file storage service if they don't already have one in the settings. Um, and now Dropbox is kind of trying all these different things. So there's business, there's photos, there's paper, uh, you know, the carousel service. I don't know what's going on there. And I don't know if they're kind of trying to see what's next. So that's the, the, the pessimistic part of me. The optimistic side says, this is cool, this is exciting, I like Dropbox, and it looks nice. So we'll see. But right now, still not using an iWork and iCloud for collaboration. Um, if you do, I'm, I'm genuinely curious to, to, to know if it's improved. I remember when we tried... Stephen, uh, <laughs> back in the prompt days, and it, let's just say it got weird <laughs> fast. Uh, remember when yeah. we shared the document with uh, people on Twitter? We did, <laughs> and the iWork document like blew up within <laughs> seconds, and the Google Docs got really strange, and yes. then locked me out of my account for a while. Yeah. It's good times. Um, yeah, you know, it's it's interesting to me that all these companies are like going after like collaborative document editing uh office 365 also has some stuff i haven't used it i'm not really familiar with it to be honest but um it's like it's a kind of a hot space right now and uh you know for me at least like you i mean the google stuff like i mean our whole business is in there and it it works unbelievably well and not just documents but spreadsheets as well and it's going to take, you know, something really powerful to knock that off the top of the list for me, but um I'm excited that that there's competition there. We should talk about notes though, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you 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 posted a really nice article this week or last week. Yeah, last week. Yeah. Um 16th um where and again this is something we've been talking about. Uh we've we've all talked about Evernote for a long time and then uh, iOS 9 and El Capitan brought new notes apps built on CloudKit, so the syncing actually works. A lot of new features, and I've I've been I've been using it for well since I upgraded El Capitan, and and 
for the most part, I like it. So I wrote up my review of it uh, last week, kind of comparing and contrasting it with Evernote in places. Um, and all in all, while there are things I don't like, uh, I have switched to it. And it's on the home screen of my iPhone and iPad, and it's in my dock on the Mac. And all my stuff's in it, and I have uninstalled Evernote and closed my account. So. Oh, like there you the go. nuclear option. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I mean... Uh, it, you know, it's fine. It's not Evernote. It, 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 all that stuff that Evernote does where like the web clipper and you can email stuff into it, like it doesn't do any of that, but it does have, uh, as you spoke about in your in your iOS 9 review, really good extension support in iOS. It has that same extension support in OS 10 uh, to a degree. And so there are ways to get stuff into it that's a little more automated than copying and pasting. And uh, it just, it has not failed yet. I mean, I've got, I don't know, like 165 notes in there, and it's it's rock solid. And you know what I noticed? Um, I'm using notes, I would say, primarily through two features, the extension and slide over. So I save bits of text, usually links, into individual notes. So I append links to the bottom of an existing note. And I have a bunch of these for Connected, for Mac Stories Weekly, for Virtual, um, I just save links every day into notes with the extension. And then when it's time to pull those links back in, whether it's a, into a Google document or an editorial, I can just uh, use slide over to open notes, tap and hold on the link and copy the link again. And that's how I primarily use notes as a, as a, kind of storage solution for links with nice previews. Because unlike Evernote, mm-hmm. it gives me this little snippet view of a link, uh, which has a, an image, a title, and a brief description. So I can easily remember what a link is about. Um, but what I noticed is sometimes um, iCloud initially fails at updating the, the, the note uh, that I'm appending a link to. So, for instance, I'm on my iPhone, and I save a link into a note. Then maybe a couple of hours later, I'm on my iPad, and I want to save another link into the same note. But the note doesn't say, I was updated two hours ago. It still says, last updated last night. So it's not like on the iPad, the extension is not seeing the last version of a note. But when I'm going into, you know, maybe a couple of days later, I'm going into the note, and when I open the note, kind of, kind of reconciles all the changes and it kind of merges all the links from the iPhone, the links from the iPad, so I don't lose anything. And that's nice because I was like, oh man, I trusted this app and now iCloud is failing again. But it turns out that there's a mechanism in place to reconcile changes from different devices, which I'm okay with. Even if, of course, Apple being Apple, there's no UI, there's no uh, conflict resolution tool that says, hey, this was a change from an iPhone, this is a new change to the same note from an iPad, what do you want to do? It just kind of happens in the background, invisibly, as Apple likes to do, but it works. And I've been putting together uh, the newsletter or, you know, links for the website for basically since June with uh, with the Notes app. And, um, I, <laughs> you know, it works for me and uh, it's faster. It gives me these nice previews. I'm not the kind of user who saves a lot of documents into notes. I guess I prefer to use Dropbox for things like PDFs and email receipts, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, I use notes for links, maybe screenshots and text. I'm a, 
that's the reason why why I, I also felt comfortable switching from Evernote because I don't need all of those features, you know, work chat and the shared notebooks. I just need a nice note-taking app with a nice extension, iPad multitasking on iOS 9 and Notes works for me. So uh, a big thumbs up for, for the Notes app. Yeah, I, I got a lot of feedback about uh, tagging. Uh, ta- tags just don't, that's not the way my brain works. Um, and uh, Shindo sent me an email uh, about the the review, but I wanted to bring it up here to see what you thought about it. Um, uh, they write, tags can be hashtags, but markdown renders those as headers. So if you if you copy it out into some sort of markdown editor, you get <laughs> headers instead of something useful. Sure. Um, so they're saying that they use the at symbol, like a Twitter handle, um, at tags, usually at the bottom of file content, sometimes in the body if I'm tagging tasks. And of course, those are searchable. So you could search at work and all of the n- notes, quote unquote, tagged with work would show up, which I think is a clever like workaround. Um, I think it's pretty nice. But the thing that's really killing me is the, the font size on the Mac is, is really small and you can't change it universally. Yeah. Um, I've even gotten a little, I've gotten more used to the sort by last edit uh uh-huh. the i really want everything alphabetically but i'm sort of letting go of that and learning that you know actually it's kind of handy to jump back in the same note that i'm always in yeah. but um i thought the tag thing was clever in fact if you if you use the extension um there's a like a threshold a couple of minutes if you're saving text or a link or a file with the notes extension it remembers for a couple of minutes the last note where you saved something into. Uh, so when I'm going through my Twitter favorites, for example, uh, and I want to save uh, like a bunch of links into my, my Mac Series Weekly note, uh, the extension remembers uh, that it has to go into the Mac Series Weekly note. Uh, but then if I let a couple of minutes pass, it just resets to a new note. So I have to tap that and to pick a note if I want to append links again. And it's a nice touch, you know, because if you're going through, uh, if you're going through links and you want to save them into the same note, just remembers that note. And it's kind of similar to, to the slide over uh, app um, Picker, you know, it, it shows the last three apps that you use in Slideover because Apple wants to make it easier to let you switch to, to the app to the apps that you always use in Slideover, not necessarily the most recent apps. Uh, iOS9 is full of these little touches, you know, to, to kind of save time. And uh, yeah, I, I'm a big fan of the of the notes extension. It's it's really well done and an example for many developers to kind of see what, what it's possible to to append, you know, to a note. You can save text, you can save links, you can save audio files, and they will be played back into, into the Notes app. Apple doesn't say this, but there's actually a UI to control audio playback into the Notes app. Uh, one thing that I would love to know is how is Apple... Uh, parsing parsing web pages for titles for thumbnails are they using the open graph image tag to pick the thumbnail are they using I, I wouldn't say they're using schema.org which is another metadata uh, standard for the web but I'm definitely curious to see what they're doing and another uh, this is super nitpicking uh, but during the beta uh, the notes extension used to behave differently for YouTube and for Twitter links. So for Twitter, it used to be that it would try to find an image 
or at least the profile picture of a Twitter user. If you were saving a twitter.com link into the notes app, the extension would try to fetch a link's image or profile picture. Now they're just using the Twitter icon, you know, the blue the blue icon with the Twitter uh, logo. Mm-hmm. And for YouTube links, uh, the same thing. They used to try to generate a thumbnail for the video. Now they're just using nothing. So sometimes they give you a video's title. Most of the time, at least for me, they just, uh, they just save YouTube links with YouTube <laughs> as the title, which is not super useful. And uh, I would like to see an update there. Um, so, yes, I think we'll, we'll keep an eye on our notes usage and see. Uh, right now I'm happy with it, but we'll, uh, we will uh, see how that goes. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to talk about uh, HomeKit today, but before that I want to take a break and thank our friends at lynda.com for sponsoring this episode. Lynda.com is the online learning platform with over 3,000 on-demand video courses to help you strengthen your business, technology, and creative skills. For a free 10-day trial, visit lynda.com slash connected. Lynda.com is for problem solvers, for the curious, for people who want to make things happen. Maybe you want to master Excel, learn negotiation tactics, build a website, boost your Photoshop skills, all sorts of stuff. Go to lynda.com and feed your curious mind. Uh, while browsing around lynda.com, I found really some just some amazing courses. Um, there's a lot of audio stuff. So you can learn uh, things in Logic. They've got uh, all the Adobe stuff too. So if you're using uh, Adobe apps as a creative professional, you can go in and, and learn things about Photoshop, Illustrator, and Design, all these great apps that can really make your work uh, better. If you if you know how these apps work and you can be more proficient in them, you can do better, faster work. With a Lynda.com membership, you can watch and learn from top experts who are really passionate about teaching. You can stream thousands of these video courses on demand, allowing you to learn at your own schedule and your own pace. You can mix these up. You can do uh, big chunks. You can do little bite-sized pieces. And there's a transcript for each one so you can follow along. Or you can search the transcript. It's like, hey, I want to know just about this one particular element uh, in this in this application or this idea. And you can jump to that point in the video. It's really a great way to get around uh, all this great content. You can take notes uh, as you go and you can refer to them later. And you can create and save playlists uh, to watch. And you can even download courses uh, if you're on Android or an iOS device to learn on the go. If you got a plane trip coming up, you can save some stuff and, and watch it later. Uh, your lynda.com membership will give you unlimited access to training on hundreds of topics all for one flat rate. Whether you're looking to become an industry expert, you're passionate about a hobby, or you just want to learn something new, you should visit lynda.com slash connected and sign up for your free 10-day trial. That's lynda.com slash connected. Thank you so much, lynda.com, for supporting this show and all of Relay FM. So, we're going to talk about HomeKit. Um, you and I have both been playing with some HomeKit devices, but before we get there, I thought it'd be nice to kind of talk through some basics of HomeKit, because... I feel like Apple hasn't given it a lot of stage time and it's sort of ambiguous like what HomeKit actually is and what it can actually do. Um, so could you maybe walk us through like the sort of the idea behind what it is? So I'm going to give you my best explanation. So HomeKit is a common language for dedicated devices to share and access data on iOS. And these devices are 
home automation devices. So they can be sensors, they can be door locks, they can be weather stations, you know. Uh, and Apple provides a, fra a framework for developers to plug into and the user gets uh, a very simple setting screen in the settings app and you can say uh, I want to grant access to my home data to these apps and I want to access my home data remotely with iCloud and I want to share my home data with another family member or with another user. And everything is extremely simple from a user perspective. Uh, you when you set up a device, um, you take it out of the box, you download the dedicated app from the developer, so there's no home app on iOS. You have to download a compatible app and you go through the setup, you grant permission to manage and access your HomeKit data, you scan with the iPhone's camera a setup code on the back of the device, and from that point on, you will be able to um, ask Siri for home information. So if you buy a weather station, uh, you will be able to say, hey Siri, what's the temperature in my bedroom? And other apps will also be able to access data from other apps and other devices. And the key thing to understand is that there's different levels of management for your HomeKit data. So you can set up accessories, as they're called. They're not called devices, they're called accessories, I think is the official definition. Um, you set up accessories and you set them up in rooms for your house. At the same time, you can also set up uh, scenes Actually, you can set up rooms, you can set up zones. So for example, I have uh, a room called bedroom and another quote unquote room, which is called kitchen balcony, as is the balcony, you know, outside of my kitchen. And then I can create a zone and a zone in my example is inside. So the inside zone has two rooms, the bedroom and the kitchen outside as the kitchen balcony, as it's, you know, outside of the house. Finally, you can set up scenes. So scenes are kind of like, um, I would say, I wouldn't say presets, but maybe they're like uh, a bunch of commands and triggers that you can do. For example, you can set up a good morning scene. And when you say city, uh, turn on my good morning scene, you can, you can use apps to say, when I say good morning, uh, in this scene, you got to turn on my lights and turn on my coffee maker through this uh, HomeKit compatible smart plug. And so there's a, a, all these little features that you got to keep in mind. But the most confusing aspect is there's no single place where you can go to on iOS to do all of this management and setup. Unlike uh, HealthKit, which is Apple's framework for health data, there's no home app on iOS where you go to the home app and you say, okay, these are my accessories, this is my data, I have a bunch of toggles so I can grant access to these apps and I want to set up rooms and zones and scenes. Uh, all is done through third-party apps and there's a system-level um, privacy screen which you can use to grant or remove access to your HomeKit data. So right now, the state of HomeKit is you gotta buy, first you gotta find a HomeKit device, which as we'll talk about, is not easy. Uh, you gotta buy the device, you gotta download the 
accessories app from the App Store. You gotta do the setup in the app and then you can share this information across apps. So in my example, I bought uh, Eve, Elgato, Eve Weather and Eve Room. There are two accessories, uh, both to monitor uh, temperature and humidity for outside, so my kitchen balcony and inside. And I put the Eve room in my bedroom. And from the Eve app, uh, I can do the setup, so I can do the, the barcode scan. It's not actually a barcode, it's more like a HomeKit icon and a string of numbers that you gotta scan with the iPhone camera. Uh, from the Eve app, I can see my Elgato devices. So I can see the Eve weather, I can see the Eve room, but I can also see all the rooms and I think the Philips Hue lights uh, that I set up in different apps. So for example, I also downloaded this third-party app, which is called Home. So, you know, it's from a third-party developer who had the brilliant idea, generally a good idea, to release a third-party app to uh, provide a dashboard for HomeKit data, because there isn't one by default on iOS. So I set up all my, my, my rooms and zones and scenes in the Home app. It's made by... by Matthias, oh gosh, I don't remember his last name. Uh, it's made from a from a from a third-party developer. He's Brutella on Twitter. So I set up all my rooms and zones in the in the home app. But because the the the, the framework, the HomeKit framework, is shared across apps, I can see the same information. So the same rooms, the same zones in the Elgato Eve app. So to sum up you gotta find the accessories, you gotta buy the accessories, set them up uh, with the individual apps, and then those apps can communicate. On top of that, you can use Siri to access information. And, this is the last point, if you have an Apple TV, you can set up HomeKit to be accessed remotely, so if the devices are in range of the Apple TV, which is another problem we're gonna talk about, when you're outside the house, when you're on cellular data or maybe on another Wi-Fi connection, you will be able to ask Siri for home information and Siri will go through your Apple TV, which is connected to your iCloud account, and it will give you information such as temperature or maybe turn on the lights, turn on the, the, the smart plug, that kind of stuff, remotely. So it's quite complex and there's a, you know, it took me a while to understand all these different, you know, definitions, rooms, zones, scenes, and I'm still kind of playing around. Uh, so far, I have two devices, the Eve Weather and the Eve Room, and I'm a genius and I'm sarcastic here because I really wanted to try the remote access stuff. So... I couldn't wait for the new Apple TV to come out. And last week, I just went out and bought a, a third-generation Apple TV. Oh, boy. Spoiler, it's not working. So, <laughs> uh, Stephen, before we move on to our actual experience, what devices do you have? Uh, well, I've got the Hughes, um, the LED white and color ambient light kit. This is a mouthful. Um, but I was I was going to backtrack for a second. You know, I think well, you describing like how HomeKit works, uh, and you being an incredibly smart guy about this stuff, and like struggling with getting it working and figuring it out at first. Like uh, HomeKit is is a very like it's sort of like inside out from a lot of other Apple yeah. services and software where like 
it's not even visible on your phone. Yep. Like I assumed like when I bought this light kit, I was like, oh, well, I'm going to go into like the home kit settings and like set this up. It's like, no, <laughs> that's not even visible until you have yep. like home kit hardware on your network. Yep. Like it is very, very strange. Um, and setting that up because there's like no immediate starting point. Um, so with the hue lights, you download their app and then it has a little like six digit pin I think like a QR code that you you pair the the base station with the app, and then the base station goes on your network over Ethernet, which is going to be a problem for a lot of people. Not a problem for me, but for a lot of people it might be. And then like they all talk to each other, and then iOS is like, oh yeah, I have like this HomeKit thing I could turn on now. It's just very strange. Like if I had like I had to read the directions, and like like LOL, men don't read directions, but like I like I was like, oh, I'll just put these in and like get it going, and I was like. I don't know where to start with this. And and because there's no interface, like there's no interface for HomeKit. Like I'm in my settings right now. And so HomeKit shows up in like the long list. And uh, the only thing in settings is like my house and who it's shared yep. with. So I have it shared with my wife so she can, she can do stuff uh, with the lights on her phone. And like, that's it. Like there's no, it's all this like, sort of not really visible. Like I had no idea the Apple TV was required for external access because Apple's website doesn't say that anywhere. Like uh, we've got three links in the show notes to support documents and like none of them are extremely helpful because it just sort of exists. But again, you have to find the the hardware. But um, I don't know, just uh, setting it up, it just struck me as like a very strange thing from Apple to, to, to set up and to use. Yeah, in the, in the, in the developer's defense... Uh, at least from the Eve app, uh, it, the setup is really well done. Uh, you, I mean, provided that you know you got to find this app on the App Store. So I needed to go through the instructional manual, you know, like a paper manual uh, to read. Uh, you should go download our app from the App Store. I'm like, okay. Uh, but the Eve app is really well done. It tells you, okay, now you got to put the batteries into the accessory uh, then you gotta uh, you gotta find the code, put the camera in front of the code, scan the code, and you're done. So from the developer's perspective, they've done a good job, you know. Uh, but it's really strange. I mean, when you first pair a HomeKit device, you literally end up with a new option in the settings. Like it pops out at the bottom of a list. Uh, otherwise, you won't be able to see HomeKit if you don't have a, an accessory uh, set up on your device. Uh, and it's really strange when you compare that to HealthKit. You know, it's always there. There's an app. Of course, the big difference is your iPhone is already packed with sensors. So HealthKit already has access to a pool of data about you. And it makes sense to have a default app there. But I would argue that to promote, you know, these new features for your iPhone. So your iPhone can be, you know, this little remote control for your home. That's a pow powerful idea. That's pretty cool, actually. Uh, but to not have a single place that is pre-installed, and I know that we criticize Apple for having too many pre-installed apps, but there has to be something that you got to give to people to say, look, you got to go here if you want to set up your accessories. Instead, I ended up with this folder on my home screen where I put all of these different apps to access my HomeKit data and to manage my HomeKit rooms. And that's the even stranger part. There's this whole level of hierarchy, you know, uh, accessories, rooms, zones, scenes, and that's completely hidden from 
iOS and the settings. And if it weren't for the home app, I wouldn't know how to do this management. I wouldn't know how to create rooms to assign zones to my accessories. So it's a really, I would say, odd decision to, to not have a single place. It can be in the settings. It doesn't have to be an app to just say, go there, create rooms, go crazy, create custom Siri commands. Because even for the Siri portion of the whole deal, uh, there's all these different commands that you can ask, but those commands depend on the names that you assign in a third-party app. So Siri understands bedroom only because I created the room called bedroom in a third-party app. There's no setting screen where I can say, okay, Siri, I want you to call this room my bedroom and I can give you a nickname for other rooms. There's, there's nothing. You got to do, do all of these with third-party apps. So once you accept this, and it can be, it can be difficult to accept this because it, I don't think it makes much sense. But once you accept this, you can start playing with HomeKit. And I've been... So let me give you first a disclaimer because I know that people are gonna make fun of me for this. I am famously... I wouldn't say against, but I... I famously poked fun in the past uh, at people obsessing over weather information and weather apps. So the irony <laughs> is, why is Federico <laughs> using weather sensors? It's a very simple problem. Uh, at my apartment in Rome last year, we had problems with the uh, humidity in the in the bedroom, and um, we had problems with the with the with, with the with the wall in my house. Uh, and we needed to paint it over to buy a special paint for for this humidity problem. And we, especially because of my uh, of my condition, you know, we gotta make sure that the air we breathe is okay. And my doctor specifically recommended you cannot be exposed to high humidity all the time. And you got to make sure that the air is always fresh, that there's no, you know, weird particles going around in the air that you breathe. And so we, we need to keep an eye on this stuff. And so I didn't buy these devices for the temperature because it's always around 20 degrees Celsius over here, which is fine for us. But you, we got to make sure that the air quality and the humidity is at an acceptable level for us. And for this reason, I thought, okay, I can, I always like to do this. I can combine my personal needs with my desire to play around with geeky stuff which, you know, always motivates me. And so that's the reason why I went with the two weather sensors. And, of course, other HomeKit devices, they're just cool, you know? I like the idea of controlling my home remotely, so that's that's why. Yeah, it's um, it's neat. And it, it what I do like about it, I think maybe this is part of the, the design of the way HomeKit works, is that you can really form it to be what you want it to be. So we're going to talk about our hardware in a second. Like, you can, like, if you're interested in X, you can put X in, or, you, you know, you want this sort of control, you can do that, and HomeKit, by its sort of ambiguous nature, like, is adaptive to all that stuff, um, but I agree with you, I, I do think that something like this Home app, which um, I'm definitely going to check out, would be useful in surfacing this for people, and giving them a hub uh, to to do this stuff, because you do end up with a bunch of different apps, a bunch of different services that that sort of they don't compete, but sort of feel like 
all these like separate little things. And, uh, you know, I could, I could almost see this working like ideally where there's a HomeKit app and these, these third-party developers create extensions into that app where if you have like the hues, the hue lights on your network and you have that app, then like you can also control them and like in the master HomeKit app and, um, maybe it will get there. I mean, we're going to, we're going to close the show with like the question of like, do we think HomeKit's important to Apple? But I think that that would go a long way to showing consumers what this could do as opposed to right now. It's like, well, we really created this for third-party developers to do stuff. Um, and it's more of a framework than like an actual service or, or, or application, but I don't know. Um, so let's talk about hardware, but, but real first, I want to thank our third and final sponsor, uh, our friend uh, Andrew Carroll at NCH Wealth Management. Trying to understand how to get all of the paperwork and tax stuff uh, for your business or for yourself in place is the last thing you want to do with uh, to deal with when you're trying to just make things and and do what you want to do. You know we're all independent and it's uh, all that stuff is overhead that can be difficult to deal with, can be confusing, and it can actually can get you into trouble if you don't know what you're doing. Um, and it's really easy to pay to pay too much into taxes where you're not taking proper deductions and have everything set up correctly. Maybe you're a freelancer or you have uh, the dream of being an independent content creator or you're just trying to deal with all the tax nonsense. Um, then you should check out uh, our friend Andrew Carroll. Uh, he's a CPA at NCH Wealth Tax, uh, Wealth and Tax, and he's a big fan of all the great shows. And he's also our accountant here at Relay FM. And he's written a new ebook called The Freelancer's Guide to Escaping Taxes. It's all about how to understand what you need to do to make sure you're being efficient and effective uh, with how you deal with uh, taxes and uh, getting things in place to avoid things like fines and, and paying more than you have to. Andrew believes that business should be simple, and he's made the free guide for people who want to learn how to make their own freelance, tyke, freelance tax life easier. In a nutshell, it breaks down how to simply and legally reduce your taxes with step-by-step instructions anyone can follow. Andrew can also help out with almost anything related to businesses, taxes, or investments. But if you're a freelancer, you should go check out this guide right now. It's cpaandrew.com slash relay. He's also cpaandrew on Twitter. You can go say hey and ask questions. Uh, Super great guy, super smart guy. This stuff is complicated, and uh, the guide's really great. If you're new to freelance or or doing more on the side, you can get in a situation that's... um, less than optimal. And, and this guide and Andrew's expertise can help you out with that. So again, cpaandrew.com slash relay. Thank you to Andrew for supporting this show and all of Relay FM. So we talked about the, uh, the Eve weather a little bit. Um, do you, uh, do you have any other, any other gear set up, any other gear that you want to add? Um, uh, you still have not told me why your cables and your TV are crazy. Okay. So I uh, wrote that down. I haven't forgotten. <laughs> Jesus. So the cables are for the Apple TV, which was a temporary uh, experiment. I wanted to see if it would work as advertised by Apple. So last weekend, I went back to Viterbo, as I always do, and I thought, okay, I'm excited because as soon as I'm in Viterbo, I'm going to ask Siri to look up my, my HomeKit information. I'm going to ask Siri what's the humidity and the temperature for from the EVE sensors. And of course, it didn't work. Um, Siri said that it didn't have, uh, couldn't look up the information right now. And the Eve app and the Home app on my iPhone, they just said the devices are unreachable. So uh, I don't know what the problem is, but my idea is 
sometimes it just doesn't work. And I got this feedback from uh, quite a few people on Twitter. Uh, the remote access is basically a black box. Sometimes it works. Most of the time it just says it's unreachable. And also, uh, my understanding is these devices, uh, so the sensors, the HomeKit accessories, they connect to the Apple TV via Bluetooth. So my theory is... Uh, the sensor that is outside, because I closed the window and all of the, you know, I, I just, I went away, so I had to close everything. Uh, maybe the, well, it wasn't possible for that device to connect to the Apple TV, which is inside. It's just like three meters away, uh, but maybe there's a problem with the window when it's closed. I don't know. But still, it doesn't explain why the Apple TV wouldn't be able to connect to the e-room, which is in another room, like two meters away, with no door, uh, and uh, you know, in between them, with no window, no glass, no metal, no weird obstacles, and it just didn't work. It works right now, it just didn't work remotely. I I don't understand what's going on here, and it I got also on Twitter some replies from developers saying that in the current version of tvOS for the Apple TV developer uh, unit, uh, they removed any mention or framework related to HomeKit, which is not a good sign, you know? <laughs> it's encouraging. I don't know if Apple is kind of backtracking and maybe the, they found out that the remote access feature is not as stable as they would like it, would like it to be yet. Uh, but still, according to these developers, uh, the new Apple TV doesn't have the HomeKit functionality for remote access. Uh, so with that in mind, uh, the, the Apple TV, the cables were there because I was just setting up uh, this experiment and I didn't want to buy like cable protection and that kind of stuff. Uh, I'm go just going to remove the Apple TV now. Um, so aside from remote access, which didn't work, um, right now the Eve Weather and the Eve Room are the only two devices that I have. Um, there's some confusion in regard to the Philips U bridge with HomeKit support. I can find the device on Amazon Italy, but it's not available yet. It's not available on the Italian Apple Store, and according to Philips, you, uh, existing owners of a Philips Hue bridge, the first generation one, will be able to receive a discounted HomeKit bridge starting November 1st, but I, it's not clear to me whether this discount will be available to Italian customers or just in Europe in general, or if it's just an American thing. So I don't know. Right now, I really want to try the, the Philips Hue lights with the HomeKit support, but I can't. So all I have are two sensors. Um, and they work really well. You know, when I'm inside the house, uh, the information updates in a couple of seconds. I can ask Siri. I can use the Eve app. I can use the Home app, which is a nice widget to see uh, information at a glance in Notification Center. And one particular mention for the sharing and iCloud syncing process. It was really easy and fast. Uh, after finding out that I had a new HomeKit option in the settings, I just added Sylvia's email address uh, in the sharing panel and she received a notice on her iPhone to uh, 
control and access home information and it worked right away. So I just needed to download the eVap on Sirius iPhone and I didn't have to go through any setup process because iCloud was syncing the existing accessories and home information on our device too which was nice. And also when I when I set up my new iPhone 6s Plus, which I bought on Friday, Stephen, uh, the home information was already there in my iCloud account. So I didn't have to go through the pairing process with the accessory again. And the accessories themselves, they're nice. Uh, they're powered by AA batteries, which will last, I think, a couple of months, maybe three months. I will have to replace them eventually. And it's really handy to be able to look up the humidity level and to act accordingly uh, depending on what Siri uh, tells me or what the with what the apps tell me and overall I think I'm excited about HomeKit actually let me say I'm excited about the idea of home automation and I think HomeKit needs a lot of work and specifically it, there needs to be an app on your iPhone you don't have, you must not be forced to download an app from the App Store to access a system feature, you know. And so I look forward to having a proper HomeKit app on my iPhone, maybe next year. Uh, but overall, I'm really intrigued by the idea of, uh, you know, having all these accessories communicating with each other securely, uh, storing credentials in my iCloud account so it's available on all my devices I can share them with my family and there's there is a convenience to be able to ask Siri for this information you know and I'm using Siri a lot for this and I'm I'm happy with the devices I'm happy with how the framework the HomeKit framework works behind the scenes I'm really unhappy with the front end of HomeKit, which is basically non-existent. And yeah, so what, what front end? <laughs> exactly. So the framework, I think, is a good idea. I think having Siri as a kind of, uh, as kind of basically Siri like a butler, you know, I can ask Siri for home stuff and he responds. That's cool and that's useful. But the remote access, the front end, the, you know, the system level exposure of these features, uh, that needs a lot of work. Yeah, the uh, the Hue lights, they you can find them here. I've I picked up my kit at um at Best Buy, but on Amazon, like they were in stock and now it's sold out again. And you can find the old one, but the new one, the bridge, of course, it's still like it's still their network hardware on your network, but it provides that bridge to home kit as well. And so in my review yesterday, like I, I show like trying to use Siri to turn the lights off. Um and it works about half the time. In fact, I, the the video that I shot yesterday, I actually tried it like four or five times and it didn't do it. So I just left it in because I thought it was kind of funny. Um, so that's a little hit or miss. But the, uh, the, the Philips app, the Hue app itself is not super great, but there's other third-party apps out there. Uh, I'm using one just called Hue uh, that is simpler but does a nice job. And basically you pair it with the with the bridge and so you open the app and you have to go hit the big like there's a big like button on the top of the bridge you push and then they they can communicate and kind of do a handshake uh, and that's all fine um like the lights themselves are pretty cool they're the leds so they stay cool the they most cheap leds struggle to um 
fill like the full color gamut. So the green uh, on these is not super great. Uh, I wish it was better, but um, uh, it kind of struggles to get it like a nice green color that, that's bright. Um, but it's really cool. I've got all three in the same floor lamp. And so I can make like, I, I can mix and match the colors a little bit. I can do scenes. And because they're all kind of in the same corner of the room, uh, it, it can be really nice. Um, I've got a link to my review in the show notes. I d- it's the first time I've done a video review, Federico. It's very strange. Uh, I like it, but it was a lot of work. And uh, I, I don't know. It's something I, I'm experimenting with. But um, the video is nice because you can actually see like how rapidly they work. Like The second you tap the scene or change a color in the app, the bulb responds, which is nice. Um, I, like you, though, have had range issues with it where when I started it, the bridge was kind of at the other end of the house. Mm-hmm. And I had to end up moving it to the uh, sort of the secondary. I've got a secondary switch at the at the end of the house where this lamp is, and I, I moved the Phillips bridge down there, and it's much more responsive now. So it's definitely like a range issue. Uh, I'm a little worried about the Eve weather thing. I want to put it out on our screened-in porch, and I worry that it would not yeah. be able to to communicate back uh, to the house. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna have to play with that. Um, but uh, you know, all in all, it's 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 all really early, like yeah. as early as HomeKit feels. This hardware feels early too. Like the, the Philips app, like I said, is it's okay. Um, it feels like it could be a lot more polished there, and it'll get there. But um, you know, for two hundred bucks, like it's I I don't think the the Hue Light Kit is is worth it yet at, at that price point. But um, I I guess it depends whether you buy the Hue set for HomeKit or just as a set because I bought one last year and we've been super happy with our Philips Hue lights and we use it to uh, to kind of set the mood in a, in a, in a room uh, we use it as a as a basic light when you know we we like to be able to control from from the iPhone we even like to be able to um, turn on the lights so when we're not home uh, the 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 camera that we use for security uh, can have a better view because when it's dark we can turn on the Philips lights and as a as a smart set of lights it's fine I think but if you buy it with the primary intention of trying HomeKit I can understand why the issues that you've had lead you to think this is not worth the money so it kind of makes me skeptical to upgrade my Hue Bridge because. For the past year, I don't know if mine is a, is an isolated case, but it's been really stable for us. Uh, you know, the U app is kind of complex, but it works. Uh, it's really fast when I'm when I'm on Wi-Fi, and if you create a Philips account, uh, you can turn on the lights remotely uh, over 3G or 4G, and it takes a couple of seconds, but it gets there. Um, so I've been happy with my with my Hue lights and and they make for a great demo when when my friends are in my house, uh, but you know we'll see. Stephen, can you can you hold on one second? There's the plumber is calling me. Sure. Pronto. I'm just gonna leave this in to your listener. You can hear Federico argue with his plumber in Italian. Yo, that was quick. Yeah, they're gonna be here in 15 minutes. So we kind of already answered it a little bit about the is HomeKit important to Apple. And when I first thought that question, like my thought was, well, it's really slow right now. And so it must not be. But typically when Apple adds services to things, it's either like 
they're like all in and have like a special like iBooks uh, event with the iPad in New York City, or it's like this where it's like, oh, well, you know, we talk about it on stage and like the stuff's out there, but it's going to kind of be a slow burn. Like I feel like Apple News is this way. Like we still don't have the Apple News format uh, spec out. It's, you know, not, they're not really pushing it. Yes, it's on the home screen by default, but I, I don't, I think it'd be wrong to conflate the rollout with the importance level in Apple. Yeah. Um, I do think Apple believes in this sort of stuff. And I think that they do want the iPhone to be increasingly at the center of everything you do. Yeah. And, uh, and if home automation is going to become a thing, like why not have the iPhone be the central the central hub, right? Like it's good for Apple. It's good for their customers. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, so they, I think it is important to Apple. Makes total sense to use the iPhone as the hub, you know, to 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 access all of this information from your iPhone and to use Siri because voice is a is a natural uh, input mechanism to to ask for this type of information. It's quick. You can you can use nicknames for rooms and, and other commands. It makes sense. Just you know, the support right now, it's very much in and and I know that Apple doesn't like to use this, but it's a beta. Basically, I would say it is a beta, you know, everything from the setup process to not having a dedicated app to the difficulty of finding HomeKit accessories on the Apple Store or on Amazon. You really, you really gotta, gotta go out your way to find them. And it's not officially a beta, but it feels like one. Yeah, uh, I agree. And um, I hope that it gets better. Like, I, I would love to be able to have more connected stuff in my house. You know, part of this is that the hardware is slow. Apple's going, putting hardware manufacturers through a certification process to make sure everything works as expected, which is important. Like you want your lights to work. You want like your, like your door locks to work. You want it to all be really seamless. And so I'm glad Apple's taking the time to do that. And if that means it's a little bit slower than, then so be it. Um, but yeah, I think that's, uh, I think that's all we got this week, Federico. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I wasn't expecting to talk this much about HomeKit, uh, but yeah, yeah, good episode, and I'm sure Mike will 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 listen, and it'll decide to go on a HomeKit shopping spree, because I think so. Yeah, that's what he does. So. <laughs> that's what he does. Uh, so you can find the show notes this week at our website relay.fm/slash/connected/slash/sixty-two. You can find the show itself on Twitter at underscore connected fm. You can find Federico Vitici at MacStories.net, where he and his team uh, cover iOS and iOS apps unlike uh, anyone else. You can find him on Twitter at Vitici, V-I-T-I-C-C-I. You can find Mike, our dearly departed leader, uh, on a bunch of shows at Relay, and he is iMike on Twitter. And you can find me at 512pixels.net or ISMH on Twitter. Uh, Until next time, Federico, say goodbye. Arrivederci. Adios.